Do you love to read but struggle to see print? Bookshare is a nonprofit ebook library that makes reading easier for people with low vision or blindness. Members can read in ways that work for them with ebooks in audio, large print, and digital braille. Get unlimited access to over 1 million titles, including New York Times bestsellers, periodicals, upskilling books, and more. Bookshare is free for New York Public Library patrons or U.S. students with a qualifying disability. For more information, visit Bookshare.org today. The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening and welcome back to Tuesday Topics. I'm Paul Edwards, one of the now two hosts of uh, Tuesday Topics, the second host and one who will probably find himself taking the lead on future programs is Mr. Brian Charlson. Hello, Brian. Hey there. It's good to be back. I've been as a guest, but now as a co-host, well, I'm taking no prisoners. That's right. And I'm glad to have you back. It sort of re- re- reminds one of the dim and distant days when we were president and vice president, first vice president of ACB. <laughs> yeah, the good old days back when men were men and women were, well, I never did understand that. Well, de- desirable, entertaining. There's all of those things. Broad range and of smarter than the two of us combined. Be. That's correct. And and we we also have the usual suspects handling handling streaming and hand raising for us with with an additional shadow. So um, I I would like to well welcome back Larry Gaswin. Hey Larry. Hey, thank you, thank you, Paul. Uh, Larry is our streamer this evening, and of course the the famous or or infamous Rick Morin of uh, convention fame. In- infamous, Rick. I think. I, yeah, <laughs> there's a little infamy there. Yeah, Just yeah, yeah. exactly. Hi, guys. Even though I've been kind of demoted to hand raising guy, but that's just- yeah, yeah. That's that's it. You know, he's he's actually a co-producer too, as as is Larry. But it but it's difficult to to use all these names. And our and our shadow is Marianne Grignon, who is a part of PCB and who is also. Um, a part of FCB in that um, she is one of the movers and shakers in the Southwestern chapter, the Southwest Florida chapter of FCB. And um, Marion is, is, is hanging out in order to understand the way that uh, our system works, particularly, um, particularly the, uh, the more complex uh, Zoom system that we're using tonight, the webinar. So tonight we are going to uh, talk about the ACB convention. What a surprise. Yeah. Um, I called Brian last week and I said, do we really want to do this? And he convinced me that we did. Um, so we are. Um, now, I think- keep, in, keep in mind that we did, but with provisos. Yes. You're going to list these here provisos, right? Well, you can you can talk about some of them, and then I'll jump in afterwards. Okay. So the first proviso is that tonight's uh, show is not going to be a gripe session. Rather, it's going to be a thoughtful uh, conversation 
little bit of a think tank on what kind of issues the ACB leadership need to wrestle with, uh, some ideas on how to deal with some of those issues ongoing, because we all know that there's no going back once you've gone hybrid, once you've got the issues of both live and virtual conference, you're going to have to deal with a number of issues, some technical, some financial, some logistical. And that's what we're here to talk about this evening. Uh, the most important thing to know is that Paul and I absolutely admire the team that pulled off this year's convention. It was amazing. A technical feat, a logistical feat. Um, I, I've been to 40 plus ACB national conventions, and this by far was the logistically most difficult thing to pull off. Thank you to all that had something to do with it, how large or how small it took. As they say, it took a village. And in fact, here it took a small city. And, and I think that, that the other thing that I would like to say is, is, is there will be some things that we will say uh, about some decisions that the leadership made um, in terms of this convention. And, and, and we will express perhaps some concerns about some of those decisions. But it, it doesn't change the fact that we admire tremendously the way that our president, Dan, managed to uh, corral all of the animals during the ACB convention, particularly during the business meeting. Um, we'll certainly talk about some, some of the things that perhaps folks need to look at when they're handling issues like debate in the future. And we'll, we'll probably spend a little bit of time talking about what kinds of policies and procedures we think might work a little better as we get further down the road. But, but again, we, we, we want to say that as far as we're concerned, uh, as a first effort and, and as an attempt to do something that was extremely difficult, that is, to recognize the and and value democracy in a very meaningful way, uh, our president did better than than anyone had a right to expect. I think. Totally agree with that. Totally agree. Yeah. So when we start talking about the conference and convention, we have a number of groups that have some justifiable interest in how it's conducted. We have not only the national organization, but a number of special interest affiliates, and within the national organization, a number of committees who rely on this conference to conduct a significant part of their mission. So we'll be talking about those things as well. And we superimposed, superimposed upon all those committees is, is another group that is brand new to ACB, and its role in ACB is still, I think, a little uncertain and, 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 and a little yet to be determined, and, and that is the whole role of the community in, in our conventions. And, and we'll probably have something to say about that, too. Absolutely. So do we start with the macro and bring ourselves down to the micro or the other way around, Paul? 
Well, I think we should start with some of the elephants in the room, and I think probably the biggest elephant is COVID-19. Certainly. Um, I have to say that, like I said, I've been to most, well, nearly 40 conventions, maybe a little more than that. I missed one, and then COVID hit. And uh, I've attended the others strictly virtually, of course, uh, including this year. So my perspective of how this convention worked comes from that perspective. And you were present, right, Paul? I was. <clears throat> and, and I was there early till and late. Um, I, got, I got in the Wednesday before the convention started and was there until the Sunday after the convention ended. Um, and, and I generally like to be there that long um, because I, I like to get there in time so that I can help stuff bags on Thursday. And so that um, I also get an opportunity to kind of familiarize, my, familiarize myself with some of the stuff that's around. And really from the time that, from the time that Friday of the first week um, came to pass, there were beginning to be COVID cases. Those COVID cases gradually grew until I think by the end of the convention, there were probably, uh, and, and, and I, don't, I don't have categorical numbers. I just have loads and loads of people who have commented since and, and during the convention. But I think there were at least 50, maybe even more cases of COVID uh, among the 500 people who were there. So 10% of the folks who, who were at convention got COVID. 10% um, or so acknowledged that they got COVID. Yes. By way of one or another of our uh, email lists and that kind of thing, and a little bit of side conversation. Right. But the latest I heard in terms of um, an aggregate of those present uh, the estimates go up to as much as 50% of those in attendance either contracted COVID on their way to, while at, or on their way home from the convention. <clears throat> and this is not an unusual thing in these kinds of events. It's not that uh, I'm suggesting that ACB's convention was, a, was in any way necessarily more contagious than others, though I think there's some reason to think it might be. Uh, and and, and some of the reasons need to touch, you know, yeah. a little bit more than the norm. Right. And, and, and uh, that's and why you hug more. <laughs> oh, you said the hugging you think played a part too? Oh, I do. I um, do. And the, and the other thing is, you know, uh, we probably shouldn't forget the fact that there was a huge event that immediately immediately preceded ours where where there was boku covid and that was the college world series and literally the folks were leaving the hotel we were in uh when as we were arriving so the the, the late stairs were still there and um, th there were large numbers of COVID cases all during the College World Series, as anybody who tuned into that will know. So COVID was around there. 
Um, and, and there's, there's, it, it would have been remarkable if there hadn't been a pretty substantial number of, of COVID cases. Now, what did our convention committee slash leadership do to try to mitigate as much as possible the COVID situation? One is we required all people who went through registration to show proof of vaccination. Um, That didn't necessarily mean that we were able to say to an individual who showed up without such proof, you must leave the hotel. It simply meant that you could not go through the registration process. Therefore, you could not get a name badge, right? that kind of thing. And, and we couldn't staple masks onto those folks either. Correct. So we did not require that people wear masks. We did set up a section in the general session for those who wished to wear a mask and to some degree isolate themselves from the others in the room. We also uh, did a really good s- job no, of go setting up tables um, so that distancing was maintained. Um, uh, you know, the, it, it, the rooms were large enough that it was actually possible to put tables pretty far apart, not to allow for very many people sitting at tables in things like general sessions. Um, so, so that was all good. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I am, I am totally blind. So I don't, I don't think, particularly after the first couple of days, that there was a lot of mask wearing that went on, and I and I don't, I don't know that there was much attention drawn to the masked section and the unmasked section. I don't know. Maybe Rick could comment on that because he was also there, of course. Did did you did you see a lot of evidence of masked and unmasked sections in the hall, Rick? Yeah, I. I not uh, not exactly paul i know there were times and it seemed to happen most days that there were unmasked people in in the mass section which you know created some some issues with yes gotcha but generally the um the mass section was um you know was pretty sparse in the beginning but what was interesting is the convention wore on um, I think the 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 prevalence of people wearing masks grew exponentially. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I would mean, also was, say that one of the other rules was that when you went on a tour, you had to be wearing a mask. You you had to wear a mask on, on the, the bus. bus. You didn't have to bus, wear a mask on the bus. Right. You didn't have to wear a mask at the tour. But in a couple of cases, for instance, I forgot. I completely forgot coming home, and nothing was reinforced. Nobody said, "Hey." You got to put a mask on. Now, granted, right. there were very few sighted people on the bus, but if I had remembered, I would have done it. But it did happen. Right. Right. The one of the difficulties with any kind of general rule about COVID for any group, but I think particularly with our group, since you know seeing is believing, is um, how do you police such a thing? Yep. How do you and, police it? And how strict can you actually be? You know. Um, so we, we could very clearly say to folks, you can't, um, you can't register for the convention. You can't go into the exhibit hall. You can't go into meetings. Um, but, 
but we couldn't say to that person, you can't be in the hotel, you can't wander around. We, we can't even say to them, you can't go uh, to, to the, the, the convention center. And we probably couldn't say you can't go to the ACB cafe. Exactly. So, so, yeah. so to some degree, whatever the eventual solution, and we all would love it to go away by next year, but I don't see any sign of that happening at this point. But no, we no need to realize that one uh, part of the process is not to ignore it. So it's important that every session include requests that people do their best to deal with distancing, to do their best to encourage people to wear a mask, even if you don't require it. Right. And to enable people to test, since testing is now something that is pretty close to being readily achievable as well. Yep. When we ask people to treat one another like family, that also means, you know, if the kid's sick, you isolate so that you don't get the other kids sick. You do your best to try to limit these kinds of things, yep. even when it's inconvenient yeah. for you to do. And some people were amazing. They got sick day one and they isolated themselves for the entire convention. Right, and and some of our some of our board members did that. Patrick Sheehan was one. He's he an essentially, example. yep, was was isolated right from the beginning, almost until the end of the convention, and didn't come out of his room really <clears throat> until he had tested negative for two days. So, so I think it's that kind of of volunteer compliance to right. general health ideas. It's not a political issue. It's nope. a take care of family issue. Right. Um, and I think, I think that, you know, we have another example where an entirely different approach was taken in the NFB convention. And the, the net result there <clears throat> was a, a, a large number of cases of COVID as well. So um, neither of our approaches appear to have worked particularly well. Their approach was to not care whether people were vaccinated or not, but they actually hired folks and required people to take tests as soon as they arrived. And Paul, there were two other conventions I know of where people went and they were cited. This had nothing to do with any blindness committee right. or community. Same thing happened. It, 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 yep. just show, it just shows that when people gather and whether they may wear masks or not, when COVID is around, there are going to be some cases. And, and we've there found are. that out. Yep. And we know that we're talking about the variant of COVID sure. that has shown itself to be the most communicable. Uh, may, you know, not the most lethal, but certainly the most communicable. Uh, so that plays a part in things. Paul, I've got a question for you. Do yep. we want to take... Um, calls on this particular topic before we move on to another? I think we can. Um, so let's I think give folks an opportunity to, to, uh, to raise their hands. And, and while they're doing that, let me, let me see if you agree with this, Brian. <clears throat> I think um, that if there were two things that I would have changed about 
our convention uh, this year is I would have uh, I would have liked to see um, more transparency from the leadership in terms of telling people what the progress of COVID that they knew about was. Um, and, and perhaps more encouragement for people to wear masks, not just on buses, um, but in other places as well. Um, I, I think I think that might have been, in retrospect, a good plan. I I really do think that we will have learned so much from this time. One right. is to communicate better. That's yep. not a matter of privacy. We wouldn't say, if you've had contact with the following 25 exactly. people, it's not going to become kind of a, a Marjoram Beeman list of donors kind of situation. Paul Edwards' fault. Yep. Yes, so we, we're, we wouldn't be doing that. But we yep. could say that um, the number has grown significantly. Uh, we highly recommend that you take extra precautions. Um, we encourage those who have turned uh, or who have shown to be positive to fully isolate. And if you identify yourself at the registration office or whatever, we will do what we can to assist you relative to testing and relative to being connected to the hotel staff in such a way that isolating in your room will not result in you, you know, not being able to get a meal and those kinds of things. You know, and at the, at the other extreme, we had people who, um, who had been um, <clears throat> diagnosed with COVID, let's say on a Thursday, uh, sorry, on, a on the Tuesday of convention week, um, who attended the banquet. Yep. And clearly, that was irresponsible. Clearly, that was inappropriate. And clearly, um, it it would be nice if there was if there was some way that we could deal with that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that there is. Um, but it's the kind of thing that would lead me to ask that person to leave my family. Well, I I wonder. I I just now remembered that, as in previous years, you could book a banquet table. And a banquet table was seating eight. Was yep. that the same this year? Yes, I, I think it was eight. It's about right. That's pretty close. Yeah. That's pretty much a full meal deal at one of those tables. Oh, Maybe yeah. They could have limited each table to six or something else that allowed and they, for a little and, bit and they more may have seating. done that, Brian. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember how many people there were there were at my table. I think there were eight, it, but the tables were more spread apart this year, apparently, they than were. years past. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but you were still elbow to elbow Correct. with the person to your left. And the person pretty much. Right. Pretty close. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Okay, so it's right. raised. Mr. Rick, who do we got? We've got Donna Browning. Hi, Donna Browning. Hey, Paul. I miss having dinner with you. Me too. <laughs> I totally enjoyed that. And they yeah, did do six to a table for the con yep. con for the yeah, there were six to a table. Six per um, table. Very good. Yep. I can tell you something else that was happening. Sometimes the um tests were not picking the virus up right away. Uh when the person really did have it. Uh I know that for Sure, because I was one of them. Yep. I, I, I kept not understanding why it kept coming back 
negative when I had so many symptoms, but it kept saying negative. So I'm like, okay. And then I got home and two days later, boom. Which test were you taking? I had actually, so when I was there, um, I used um, the regular one, which I was capable of doing. The, the one that wasn't, it, it actually, they, that's the one they gave me too. When I went to the registration, they gave me one of the regular ones. Like I had gotten, um, when they first sent our test, I did not get an accessible one, but I was able to do it. Um, cause I had done it. I mean, I was able to follow it, which I was surprised. Um, I actually found that one easier to use than the accessible one, to be honest. Um, but when I got home and I, tested i did the accessible one first and it came up positive so i used the same test that i've been using the whole time that i start when i start testing at the convention and it came up positive i was like okay well at least i know i know how to use this properly (laughs) so it just wasn't picking up right away um it i i guess it depends on how much disease you have or whatever but um yeah and it was very frustrating for me because Mm -hmm. i really would like to have had a better answer than it. I should have gone to urgent care, I guess, but. But the nice uh, thing is, but the nice thing is your conscience allowed you to participate in the whole convention and then you got home and, and went to bed. <laughs> well, I wasn't my conscience, my conscience bothered me because I just, I didn't think it was right. And I was like, how can this be right? And, but I thought, okay, I guess it's just allergies because I have bad allergies too. And I was reading that there was bad allergies going on. And I went to my doctor the day I was actually, that I actually tested positive. She didn't test me because I tested so much already. Mm -hmm. And she said it was allergy. Then that night I tested positive. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) Um, Any other, any other thoughts about COVID that, that you'd like to share before we move on? Yes. So I noticed that a lot of the staff in the hotel did not wear a mask. Um, Interesting. I only had one that I saw that wore one. Hmm. Yep. That that is interesting. Miss yep. Donna, thank you so much. It was a it was a pleasure working on resolutions with you. I hope we get to do it next year. I hope so too. I totally enjoyed that. And you guys take care. And take care. Thank you. Thank yep. you. Mr. Rick. Yes, Karen Campbell, please. Hey, Karen. Okay. Um I think that once we started getting cases, um, instead of mask optional, it should have been flipped to mask required. I, I think so too. I, I think that's I think that's a pretty good point, Karen. Yeah, and the banquet tables and stuff, and even the breakout sessions were six to a table. Thank you. That's good. That's good. Again, that shows some thought in that regard. Mm-hmm. And we didn't. Paul and I are not saying that. The convention and the hotel did nothing. What more could they have done to be more successful at it? I think I think that's what we should be asking ourselves. It is, and 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 it really is what we are. Do you, do you have some other suggestions for us, Karen? Um, I don't know how well they were wiping microphones down, like in general session, especially towards the end. Yeah, um, I don't. I can't. I can't talk about Thursday. I can talk about. Uh, the night of the roll call because somebody was was there with a <clears throat> with with a cloth. In fact, in in the case of my microphone, it was Donna Browning, 
who had a, who had a, who had a cloth and wiped off my microphone. So, um, so I admired that. One of my concerns was during the board meeting on Friday. Um, you know, it was a mixed, uh, some virtual, some present kind of thing, and yep. the ones who were present were passing a hand mic. Uh, among themselves, yeah, because there was only there was only one hand mic for all of the board members except right. for Dan, who had one of his own. Yeah. Exactly. I, I remember grabbing that mic and and putting it up on the table, not even thinking, because at yep. that point we didn't have any cases. Right. Yep. And who was the first one we knew about? Pat Patrick Sheehan, yep. who held onto that mic quite a bit yes, during he that did. meeting. <laughs> he did. He did. Okay. I can tell you, I was in that I was in that boardroom, but I was way over on the other side, yeah. pretty much yeah. away from people. Yeah. You were near where I was, Karen. Yeah, I yep. think so. And I was masked pretty much the whole. Yeah. yeah, you and Ray both were masked pretty much the whole convention. I think. Yes, we were because we just they didn't flip it to required, but we just said for us it's required. So yep. we and and neither of you got COVID, right? To this point, no. We don't, <laughs> we also did not go to any to a lot of the large socials either. Gotcha. Or tours. Gotcha. Well, thank you, thank, Karen, thank you, Karen, for calling in. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. Mr. Rick, Purple G, please. Okay. Hey, Crystal. Oh, it's it's Greg. Triple oh, G, Rick. They oh, call me in ACB. Yep. Hey, Paul. Hey, Brian. Um, so I, I guess I just want to say a couple of real quick things. Um, first of all, um, uh, buffets with blind people are just always a bad idea, especially during COVID. And um, I don't know how they could have done some of the things differently, such as the baseball <coughs> game or some of the different receptions, but uh, I just um, thought that especially with, with COVID, um, you know, the, one of my sighted friends uh, told me that there wasn't, uh, what do they call those sneeze guards? There wasn't really sneeze guards at a lot of the buffets. Um, and uh, so just generally a bad idea. And I will be giving that evaluation. Um, as far as other things, I think, you know, an issue um, that needs to be addressed. And since we are family, you know, we call our, we call this our ACB family is that there's, there was a tendency and I've heard this a little bit that there's, there's a tendency to blame, you know, people and not saying that you and Brian are blaming, but I've heard a little bit of that in the community to blame this event on being the one that causes COVID or to blame, um, <laughs> I'll just, I'll just be honest and say it, blame the irresponsible students, you know, and I happen to be involved in the student group. And well, well, some of that may be the case. I, I think it's, I think we need to resist the urge uh, to to blame. Uh, you know, well, I I absolutely agree with you, and I and I'm sure Brian does too. And I don't think 
I don't think the students were any more irresponsible than lots of other groups were. And, and, and uh, I, I think there were people within our convention, and, and a few of them may have been students. Uh, heaven knows a lot of them were not, um, who were cavalier about uh, COVID. And, 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 and I'm disheartened by those folks. Um, right. But, but, I, but I certainly wouldn't blame any, any affiliate. I mean, it would be just as, as reasonable um, to blame members of the Braille Revival League because we touch stuff more. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you, right. You do touch things. You're touchy people. <laughs> we are. <laughs> by, by the way, by the way, uh, Paul, you know, you and I can still be friends, even though we didn't see, you know, the same way on that resolution. But you know. yeah, <clears throat> and, and and we're and and we're both huge fans of Jonathan Mosen, so it all works out, um, yes, Greg, and, yes. and 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 thanks very much. I think you guys. You guys got a better bite of the apple in terms of speaking to that resolution than BRL did, um, uh, and that's okay. Right, right. So there you go. So yeah, um, thank you for having me. So oh, thanks for calling. Welcome, Appreciate thanks it. for calling in. Let's take one or two more. If there are, if there are some, Rick. Yeah, we do. And what's your expression, Paul? Braille readers feel better. Uh, that's my that's my expression. <laughs> <laughs> Sharon, Sharon Strakowski, please. Hey Sharon. hey, Sharon. Hi. Hi, everybody. How are you? We're doing well. good. Good. Well, I uh, was virtual, and as it turned out, I was just finishing my 10 days of isolation with COVID. <laughs> so if I were to go to convention, I would have been flying on the day of that. But of course, I didn't know that. Um, but what I was curious about was how things went in the ACB cafe. Um, because that's always a crowded and messy kind of place. And my other curiosity was, I think Paul or Brian, you had mentioned that um, when people were isolating in the room, they tried to get help from the hotel staff. I was wondering about getting the dogs out and how did people get meals? Were there, how did that all work out? And my final thing is that I think I remember hearing when the board decided to go a hybrid, you know, which was the wise thing to do, um, that it was not an area of the country where a lot of masking happened and that we couldn't control what the hotel staff did. I right. think I remember that correctly. <clears throat> I think that's right. I, you know, I think, I think that N- Nebraska is one, is one of the areas where there was a good deal of resistance to wearing mm-hmm. masks. Um, I think that's right. So let me answer your questions as best I can. Um, the, the ACB Cafe was interestingly organized in that you, you placed an order at a counter. Um, mm-hmm. And then in general, um, folks from, would come from behind that counter and would then take you to a table. The tables were, were very well separated in the cafe. Um, but, uh, but I, you know, I still think that you're correct because particularly at lunchtime, um, the convention center was quite a ways away from the hotel. So if you were going to do afternoon meetings as, as many of us were, 
um, you almost had to stay over there and do the cafe. So there tended to be a higher concentration of folks who were, who were there. Um, your second question, there, there's, a, there's a flat rate charge of $10 for doing room service meals. And I'm assuming that a lot of people had to pay those. But the hotel okay. was pretty good about that in, in, in terms of getting stuff. And there were a lot of ACB people as well who recognized that folks had difficulties and who would make sure that folks got food and we would just leave it outside their door and let them know okay. it was there. And the fact that was that was kind of facilitated by the fact that virtually everybody at the convention had a cell phone. Um, and so you weren't even having to to go through the hotel operators because you could just call the guy directly on his cell phone. So those those groups who knew each other tended to look after their own, at least to a degree. And 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 I think that was one of the ways where where ACB demonstrated its familyness. Did did we do a perfect job of it? I'm sure we didn't, but but we sure tried, and 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 a lot of us really did make an effort to make sure that that folks who were isolated um, got an opportunity, and and we also tried to make sure that they had the ability to listen in to convention and other sessions as well. Right. I remember that that um, what is his first name? Is it Mark uh, from the WBU? Yes. Yes. Had to speak from his hotel room. Correct? He did. Yes, he did. Yeah. He was one of yes. he was one of the yeah. early adopters, early as it were. <laughs> right, right. Yes, indeed. Right. Yes, indeed. Paul, I'm, I'm curious about one other thing. I had heard mm -hmm. that it was a credit card only at the cafe. Oh, yes. yes, I heard that too. As a way to eliminate, you know, exchange of paper currency and transmittal in that fashion. It, it was a credit card only hotel as well. Um, it uh, you know if you if you didn't have a credit card with with a with with a pretty fair amount of overhead on it, you were in trouble. How about now, in exhibit hall where you might buy something? Um, credit card. As I well. think I think a few people were prepared to take cash, but not very many. No. We have nine participants with raised hands. So let's take two. Let's take two more, and then we're going to move on. Debbie Hazel and, and Donna, we're not going to take you. <laughs> hello, hello to a hey there, guys. Virtual hugs. There you go. So those um, are safe. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I was, but not there nearly virtually. as much fun. I know. I was there virtually, <laughs> and I was in both of your sessions, Paul, which were streamed. Yes. Um, and I was in, I was glued to general sessions. Um, I'm, I am a rebel. Um, I do not believe in vaccinations. And at the same time, I sure do wear masks wherever I'm asked to. You know, it's yep. kind of like when in Rome. So yes. I recently had surgery. I, I wore a mask at times in the hospital. I mean, it was amazing kind of in at five in the morning and out completed before noon with a yep. hip replacement. Oh my but, gosh. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I wore, but I didn't have to take a COVID test at all. Um, I do think though, that when people know where they're going to be and that masks are required, it's like, 
it's silly to fight. And I did hear there were people who were fighting about not wanting to wear them on the tour buses. And to me, that's a, that's rude. It's like a slap in the face to people who put so much work into. I think, you know, we we do touch a lot. Yeah, we're touchy people. And BRL, my favorite affiliate. Um, yep. I, uh, I, but we do. And so we touch surfaces. I yep. was concerned about elevators, wondering if that was a problem because, wow, people pile there, into those elevators. I, I don't think that I saw very much evidence that people were wiping down elevator surfaces either. <clears throat> and and I, I don't know whether, and, and it's a good question, I think we should at least put it on our list, whether our leadership should have said to the hotel, um, we're, we're going to require you to do more wiping down of elevators than, than you would with other groups. Because a, a lot Ooh. of blind people, particularly newly blinded people, um, will feel around on those surfaces. Oh, and so their yeah. hands will be in contact with them a lot. Well, first, um, so, just piling in and like piling into yep. rooms and, and of course, wanting to hug and all yep. kinds of stuff. So, um, yeah. elevators, elevators were not as crowded as they typically are at conventions. And there were actually Good. quite a few of them, and they worked pretty well. There Good. were four four elevators, um, and and they were all kind of located in the same place. And if you were going to the convention center, there was a, a separate elevator for getting to that spot, and two elevators okay. in the convention center for getting between the first and second floors. So. Okay, um, that's good. It, so that was all good. Well, I just hope that for anyone who got it, that it's a short-lived thing. I have heard of a couple of, of a few people who um, got very, very sick, and that's concerning. Um, yeah. But otherwise, um, I really appreciate all the hard work that went into yeah. into the convention. So Thank, good to say I, hello. Thanks oh, again thank for you, calling folks. in. We appreciate it. Thanks, Ms. Uh, Deb. Good to say hi. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Mr. Rick, last one on this topic. Yeah, Pam Coffey, please. Hey, Pam. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? We We certainly can. can. Okay. Uh, My uh, internet has been acting kind of weird lately, or something has. Um, Has COVID. Yes. Uh, (laughs) No, I have not had COVID yet. Thank goodness. but then I was not there in person. But my comment would be, if I had been there in person, I'm one of these people, even though I'm vaccinated and boosted and the whole thing, I still wear a mask when I'm out in public. I make sure I have a, some hand sanitizer with me in the event that I need it. Um, we should say that ACB I, gave away um, two yes. two bottles of hand sanitizer in in their goodie bag. Right, and that's a good thing. Um, but um, yeah, I I would I would go out on a limb just knowing that there is that this new COVID variant is just ridiculously communicable. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, 
you you can either say, uh, well, I guess you'd almost have to require masks and sanitizer, and and of course do your best with the distancing. But it is hard when you've got a bunch of people who, uh, many of whom are totally blind. I was worried about that when the pandemic first hit. I thought, what am I going to do when I have to go out somewhere with the mask? And there were no vaccines yet. What am I going to do when I have to go somewhere? And it's a place I've never been. And I may have to do a sighted guide. You can't do that and stay six feet apart. So No, you um, can't. So that was, um, you know, a major concern. But um, And do you remember I, that we I, also talked about at that time, they were telling everybody, don't cough in your hand, cough yes. in your elbow. And what, yes. what is it we do when we sight guide? We take somebody yeah. by the elbow. You take someone's elbow. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so I, I don't know what the answer is there. You know, if I, if I knew the answer to all these questions, people would be walking to my door and I'd be they making would. a million bucks and yeah. that's just go. not going to happen. Yeah. Well, thank you for calling in. Kudos, kudos for all the hard work that everyone put into that convention and uh, both the planning and the actually pulling it off. Thanks. Amen. Amen to that. Thank Very you again good. for calling. You're welcome. So I know there are other hands raised, but we want to bring up more than one topic this evening uh, dealing with a convention. So one of the ones that I'm interested in is, ought we to make changes in how we do business relative to elections and voting on constitutional amendments uh, and resolutions. Was this the most efficient way to accomplish that at the same time wanting to honor uh, the democratic nature of our organization? I have to say that um, the Monday roll call on those resolutions that were moved over to record votes and um, that was pretty spectacular. I thought it came off incredibly well, incredibly well. Now, the debate on the resolutions, I felt, uh, kind of went sideways. And it had mostly to do with defining the difference between asking for a parliamentary ruling or a question, um, an information type question, those kinds of things, ate up almost all debate time. Right. And I think that, that one of the problems that our membership had during that discussion was that um, they didn't necessarily have a good understanding of defining what those three items were, a point of information, a point of order, and a point of parliamentary inquiry. Uh, and so it just ate up an incredible amount of the debate time. So you couldn't argue well, 
the merits and, of the resolution so much. Right. And 99% of the, of the people who spoke, and, and I think that percentage is that high, weren't doing any of the three things that, that, that are involved in, in asking those questions. I, I, I felt the same way. Now, at the same time, I've been doing this stuff, like I said, for 40 years. And how many years have you been on the resolutions committee? So you were where, very well aware of the ins and outs of each and every one of the resolutions, Paul. Right. So I acknowledge that there's a percentage of people out there who weren't as well as informed <laughs> and therefore have some reason to ask questions. But I think they also had a significant opportunity in the weeks prior to the convention to sit in on resolutions committee meetings, more so than had we been entirely in that convention. I, I mean, I absolutely agree with that, Brian. I think that uh, I, I think that the question we need to ask is. If we're going to make the changes that we made this year and say that resolutions had to be in by May 1st, or as it will be next year, 60 days prior to the start of the convention, um, and if we're going to hold large numbers of resolutions meetings prior to the convention that are open to folks, um, where debate happens, where all kinds of opportunities for input is given for audience members as well as for members of the resolutions committee. We're accomplishing nothing if we go back to exactly the same approach as we, as we take uh, at previous conventions. And I think one of the things that I hope that the resolutions committee this year will do is come up with a proposal that will make all of those pre-convention meetings uh, be worth something because right now, at least from my perspective, um, I spend a huge amount of my time um, being at most of those meetings, not all of them, but most of them. Um, and 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 I I don't think it moved the resolutions process very far. That's that's exactly my experience as well. So we need the committee to pull together some practices and procedures mm -hmm. that assure that those who sit in on, in a listening mode, the meetings, can actually get a better understanding of the resolutions themselves by being present. And to encourage those who are in those meetings to, I'll, I'll use the term, text questions to the committee that the committee may or may not have time to answer during the meeting, but can assign to individuals to respond to those questions between meetings. If it's a true, just a question rather than uh, an expression of opinion, then that should help reduce the number of questions once these actually come to the floor. Yeah, we, so, we, we did all of that. I mean, we, that there i don't think there was any difficulty in terms of the uh, in terms of the openness of communications um uh, at at resolutions we were we were very cognizant of of um audience members and um and and i don't 
I don't think there's anybody who could legitimately say they weren't given an opportunity to be heard or to have but, questions answered. Right, but it wasn't necessarily promoted through you know all of our things. It was the committee is going to be meeting on thus and such a date, and the yep, uh, yep. resolutions are going to be this, this, this. If there's time to cover all of those, yep, yep. right, I, you're, you're right. I, I think there could be more promotion, but but really, what what you were what you were promoting was kind of an empty exercise because there was the, there was nothing that said if you don't attend these meetings, you're not going to get an opportunity to debate these resolutions anywhere else. Well, and I'm not sure, quite honestly, that um, in general, that would be particularly fair. I don't know that it would be. To the membership either. But, no, but what, so is, what, I what would is say to that, encourage people to come except, except a general interest in resolutions? And, and that never attracted people during the convention. <laughs> well, therein lies the question, doesn't it? It always it has a matter of... Of, yep. of everybody has a chance to speak, but everybody doesn't get to speak. <laughs> this was yeah. one of the other problems here, and that is it was so easy to hit that space bar or whatever and raise your yep. hand virtually. Just bam, you're there. And well, whoever I, was quickest on that draw got to speak. Well, uh, I, well, I, I, I don't know. I distorted was things. On- um, I was pretty quick on that draw. Yes. And, and I never got a chance to speak. <clears throat> not not were- once we became Zoom. Now on Thursday, um, on Thursday, I could stand in front of a mic. And, and, and I, uh, on any resolution, I could be sure that I would have gotten an opportunity. And I actually spoke twice on Thursday, um, not about my resolutions, but to clarify from a resolution committee member's point of view what a resolution was trying to do. Also, in that whole process, one of the things I'd like to see change is that the first speaker on a resolution ought to be the person who authored it. Correct. What That does not fly in the face of everybody gets to speak, but... Yeah. I think it's an issue. And in a hybrid situation, alternating between those present and those online, when the people online outnumber the people present at least two to one, probably three to one, does not, by any stretch of anybody's imagination, make it equal, an equal opportunity to speak. Uh, So... There's a number of things in this process I think we need to change. One would be to add a few additional items to the, um, what do they call it, the rules of the day, order of the day. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the term off the top of my head right now. Convention but rules. Yeah, we, we passed that as the first order of business. Right. But it was pretty sparse. There, there wasn't much there that dealt with... Uh, things other than the actual voting process there were some things that were there but I, but i think we could certainly make our convention rules better um and i think we could include some components um i i, I um you know we as oldsters who have been around for a long time know that really requests for 
uh, for parliamentary inquiry or points of order were never a part of the debate. If somebody was going to make them, they could make them at any time, whether it's in the middle of debate or whether it's at the end of debate or whether it's the beginning of debate. But if if they if if they weren't really a point of order and they weren't really a, a, a point of parliamentary inquiry or 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 something covered by the ability to interrupt, the, the chair would essentially declare that out of order. Yes, absolutely. Now, one of the things, again, from this hybrid approach is how would we acknowledge a point of order from a virtual attendee? I'll tell you what I I tried to do (laughs) because I tried this. You may remember that Nancy Becker kept saying, somebody keeps raising their hand the minute I put it down. Yep. That was me. (laughs) That was me. (laughs) I I literally raise it, drop it, raise it, drop it, raise it, drop it. The closest thing I could come up to, to be a virtual jumping up and down at a microphone. But the, the, the powers that be at that time said, we're not recognizing anybody who raises their hand right now. So put it down. So I had a parliamentary question. And by the time... The next resolution rolled around. How do you do a parliamentary question something parliamentary before anything has happened? And each one of the resolutions, your one time to question something parliamentarily was before the resolution was discussed. Right. And, 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 and that's work. Part, part of the reason why it's ridiculous. Um, but I think, but I think there, there is a pretty simple solution. I think there either can be a phone number where people can leave voicemail messages or texts or an email address where where folks are encouraged to send a point of order or something of that kind. But then it seems to me that the parliamentarian will look at that and see whether it rises to the level of meeting the criteria for those. And only if it does, will it be recognized. That's and awesome. so you don't have to do <clears throat> you don't have to do this whole section in front of the the debate <clears throat> and can proceed to debate and have a full 20 minutes of debate instead of two and a half. Exactly. So I think we probably better have some people on the phone. And and I thought I heard somebody on the phone already. Yeah, it was Penny Reader. Hey Penny. Hey, can you still hear me? Sure yes. can. So, Brian, I, I pretty much agree with everything you said. I thought Monday was amazing, and Denise was phenomenal. Um, no question. No question. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what we can do. We, we shouldn't have to allow people to raise a point of order and ask a, a parliamentary question before we get to each single resolution. That's what took so long. Correct. Um, um, and I think you're totally right about the fact that there were at least two and a half times as many people there virtually and it's not fair to just alternate between the people who are actually there and the rest of us who who aren't um i am late i wanted to talk about the program have we done that or are we going to get to that we're going to get to that we're going to get to that i'll come back then thanks yep rick steve steve dresser please steve hey Uh, man Hey, Paul. Good to uh, good to be here on Tuesday Topics. I think I've set a record this year by uh, being on twice. 
Uh, That's correct. (laughs) Glad to do it. Um, It strikes me that one of the, I mean, there's there's several things going on here. Um, And one of the things that strikes me is that when our conventions were everybody in person, uh, one of the things that you could do by being at a convention is you could get a very good education in how the process worked. And I don't mean just by sitting in the meetings, but I mean by being next to somebody, you know, and, and you're sitting there and you think, I've got this thing I've got to say. And the person next to you says, uh, hey, Steve, cool it right now, because y- your point is well taken, but this isn't the place for it. And that doesn't happen when you've got everybody or a lot of people virtual, because when you're virtual, there's nobody sitting next to you. So really, all you all you know. There you go. All you know is that you've got this incredibly burning thing that you've got to say. Yep. And, and and I absolutely agree with that. And I think it's a huge point. I was sitting next to um, the president of the Florida Council, and she actually sent me a message um, saying that that it was entirely different um, virtually than it was sitting next to each other and, and actually talking about the resolutions as they were happening. Um, so I absolutely think that's an immensely valuable and good point. And, and I would say as well that if somebody really wants to speak in person, they have a much better chance of being able to do that than they do virtually. Yeah. And I, and I think, I guess maybe what where I was kind of going with this is, is there a way that we could have more of the kind of, of, of a kind of session, sort of like keys to the convention, but spe- specifically about how you conduct yourself in a parliamentary kind of situation, like resolutions? And I'm not sure yep. where you would put that in the convention, but... I, I suspect that especially for anybody who has never been to an in-person convention and is doing this virtually, uh, that could be tremendously valuable. I think you're right. I think it's a really good idea. And I think that both Brian and I would agree that that's something that needs to happen. Yeah. I expect that we are going to be investing in ACB before next year's convention a great deal into education. Not telling people how to think, but giving people the tools of understanding that would allow them to make their point more effectively when they do speak. And And, part of that parliamentary procedure, but it doesn't have to be all stodgy by any means. Most of what's in Robert's rules stays in Robert's rules. Right, Right, exactly. Um, Here we're talking much more along the lines of... uh, Making sure that everybody understands we're here to hear all points of view, that we respect a person's right to have a differing point of view than ours. The minority view needs to be heard, but the majority view needs to prevail. Uh, and the Roberts rules are not there to get in the way of that happening. And, and we should probably say that we only need to abide by Robert's rules when 
our convention rules don't cover the topic. So if, if we write convention rules that cover the way we're going to handle debate and the, the way that we're going to deal with, uh, with issues like <clears throat> parliamentary inquiries and other things, um, those become the rules because they supersede Robert's rules. Right. Yeah, the convention, or the, rather the constitution clearly states, when not otherwise specified, we use Robert's rules. Yeah. So it, it's, it's the fallback. It's not the keystone of how we Correct. conduct business. Right. So we have another caller. Yeah, we do. Live from Orlando, Florida. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> You're right, Paul. I did send you that text because I have to say, sitting next to you and you educating me, because I am not the brightest person when it comes to resolutions, but I value your input. Anyway, um, I, I see a couple things that I feel we need to do differently. I think the resolutions, which I attended most of them, they were awesome because I learned a lot, but it was all about word snipping and, and figuring out the resolution. I think after that's done, maybe there needs to be a call just with explaining the resolution as it is going to be presented. I do feel that... <clears throat> At some point, maybe we need to do a pre-convention parliamentarian and point of order, because I will tell you that was ridiculous. People yes, it was. were asking too many questions. And as far as I'm concerned, a lot of the point of order and point of information were debating the resolution. Uh, they were. So, you know, we need to educate our members better. And if our members don't take advantage of it, too bad. Because I think ACB is doing an amazing job of trying to educate our members. So I valued being in person, being there freezing my butt off. But, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but I valued being able to be there. I did you know, come home with COVID, but I am healthy and doing well. And it was a valuable um, educational experience for me after three years. And uh, I hope that ACB has learned from this. And Brian, I agree with a lot of your points. And Paul, I don't always agree with you, but... You know, I value your input. So thank you, guys. I am, so, I, I, I am so impressed. Well, Brian, eat dirt. <laughs> no, I, I value both of you. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sheila. And next, Chris Bell, please. Good Chris. Hey, Chris. Chris. Um, hey. So, um, you know, I think we ought to acknowledge that anytime <clears throat> you get, uh, you know, 800 plus people together virtually and uh, in, in person, uh, things are going to be sloppy. 
Uh, yes. And that that's just the nature of the process. So yep. we can do as much educating as we want on Robert's rules of order. And I think we should as along the lines of what has already been suggested. I won't repeat that. But, you know, <laughs> that's not most people aren't going to aren't going to get it or won't be listening to it or because they won't understand the relevance of it or, or importance of it or it won't seem important right. to them. Um, and that's just that's just the reality of it. You know, um, and so I think we do have to have <clears throat> some way of limiting uh, points of order. And I think the idea of doing ch chats uh, on screen or whatever is is, is a good one. Um, I also think it might be worthwhile <clears throat> as part of the resolutions committee process to um, have a one or two sentence summary at the top as to the purpose and objects of the resolution. Yeah, um, uh, Chris, I agree with that. Okay. Um, as uh, when I was when I was chair of resolutions committee before, and and I think Brian will remember this, and some other people who were around when I was chair, I I would describe exactly what the purpose of the resolution was before it was read, and and I think and I think that's the right way to do it, um, and I. Eventually, when we got, when I saw that people were just not getting the way resolutions were, I actually spoke on, on two of Steve Mendelson's on Thursday, um, and and they both ended up passing, and and I wasn't really debating them. What I was doing was explaining what the purpose of the resolutions were. Right, and I also was very impressed uh, with the recording of each resolution that was played during the convention after yeah, Gabe introduced it was and, done and well. I think we I think we should do that in our resolutions committee I think we'd save a lot of time um, if we had a, a pre-recording of the resolution uh, because <coughs> yes we spent a lot of time trying to read them and some people were better at it than others right. and I just think it was so efficient to do the recording method yeah so, I, I don't see any reason why we couldn't do that and I don't see any reason why we couldn't actually make the recordings available right at the beginning of the resolutions process to everybody as well. Right, right. All right, well, those are my points. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Appreciate your Thanks, comments. Chris. Yep. Jamaica Miller, please. Hey, Jamaica. Yes, this is Jamaica. I have two uh, questions about this, um, about this process. Um, Number one, do you think the authors need to actually be at the be at the conventions in person, or do you or do you think they could be by or could the authors be by Zoom if they if if the convention was was way too far away for the person to be able to travel to the to the convention? And my second question is about the voting i was just wondering if there was a possibility we could do it we could have it have it maybe an hour earlier because my helper had to stay late to help me get my uh get my get my votes in um for the for the for the for the last day of the convention so those are my two uh my two things that i would like to uh so brian consider. do you want to tackle one and i'll tackle the other so first off, let me be clear that a writer of a resolution can choose to be wherever they choose to be. If they submit a resolution, the resolutions committee is required uh, 
to report it out to the floor for people to discuss and vote yay or nay to. My suggestion in terms of scheduling things would be to give the author of a resolution first grabs to speak in favor of that resolution when it comes on the floor. Right. But they could be they could do that virtually as easily as they could do it face to face while at the convention. Second question to you. And the, the second question had to do with, um, oh goodness. <laughs> voting and holding. Oh, voting yeah. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, I think that everybody, Jamaica, has decided that, that the convention um, was, was really um, much, much more like um, a month than a convention. And so I think everybody is is at a place where where they they are going to try to find ways of of shortening uh, the time that we spend doing convention things, and I I think we're going to be able to do some of that. I'm not sure we're going to be able to do as much as people are hoping we can, because there's still an awful lot that needs to get done, um, and uh, so. I, but I think you can expect most of the time that, that, that we won't be going on quite as long as we did this year. And I don't mean just long in terms of numbers of, of days. We have an incredible issue when holding a convention virtually, and that's how many time zones right. are we doing this in? Um, our friends in Hawaii simply cannot live a normal life during the convention. When they're there virtually, our friends in Alaska, same situation. So here in the East, in order not to start things too early in the West, we end up having things go much later into the evening than we would normally have to. Mm -hmm. I don't know that there's a way to improve on how it went this year. I, I highly doubt it, but I'm certainly open to suggestions. I agree. Mr. Rick? Debbie Hazelton, please. I'm Deborah. back again. Hello. So I think um, before I nice get to hip, my thoughts, I think what yeah. Jay, oh, thank you. Um, I think what uh, Jamaica was asking was could voting be a little earlier in the day because of the timing in her, her age exactly. schedule? And that would have to do with what um, um, ACB office would be able to uh, work out. In, I, I, I don't I think, think it was about one the of length the, of the convention. Yeah, I think maybe you're right. But I think <clears throat> one of the issues there is who is the convention for? If, if you do roll call for votes during the day, you're excluding every single ACB person who works. Right, but I think she was talking about the the individual vote, the individual vote of when to do it, and um, and that you know might be separate from the affiliate roll call. But but yeah, maybe so. I mean, all but that with time, with, all the, that with affiliate time. roll call, you know, I I I don't know what the right answer is, but but I, I think there there was a clear reason why it was held in the evening. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah to accommodate and and it was 
really remarkable how many affiliates did vote. And I loved how many got involved. I mean, we totally have a higher number of people voting and affiliates involved and discussing things. Mm-hmm. And I I love that. Even if yeah. I, I did want one thing to pass that didn't, and I was <laughs> thrilled, I still will not capitalize Braille if it ever Thank does um, <laughs> change. So that's where I am. But <laughs> but um, I would suggest, well, all that about the points of order and everything, I agree. I think people just were wanting to have their say. They weren't totally happy with some of what was happening. It seems to me that those community calls about resolutions, I would suggest that that not get mixed up with the writing of and the editing of. I think that when I showed up listening, I was hearing, well, are we going to edit this clause and are we going to take this apart now? I don't think that's effective for people who need to get educated on them. I think um, really like you're saying, what is this resolution going to accomplish? Why do we need it? And I, I further think that people wanted to debate like, well, how is Amazon customer service going to do this or that? You know, my thought was, that's not our job to figure that out. That's our, it's our job to say that that's something we need to have happen. It's their job to figure out how they're going to do it. They're so, meaning ACB staff? No, no. Or the board? It's Amazon's job to figure uh-huh. out how they're going to accomplish that. It's not and, our but job. But it's also to, to a them. degree, I think, ACB's board and staff's job to figure out how they're going to actually implement the resolutions. Okay. And, and, and so, at least to a degree, um, it, without micromanaging, you write resolutions in a kind of a generic way. And, and there is an expectation that the staff and the board of directors will oversee their implementation. Right. Within right. available resources oh. in terms of yes. time and the like. And that's why we go through the prioritization process as much as any other reason. Yeah, there's the timing issue during the prioritization. Well, but there's also the how much resources do we have to devote to this topic at this time? And right. push comes to shove, which it almost always does. And the, the other factor with regard to prioritization is that prioritization made a lot more sense when we were holding a post-convention board meeting. Even though everybody was tired, yeah. the fact is that prioritization would happen when the resolutions were fresh in people's minds and when everybody knew what they were doing. Now prioritization is postponed until I, I guess it'll happen at the August thirty first board meeting, but that's that's a long way after convention, and and a lot of people will will have placed conventions yeah. in 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 their things long past. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, thank no. you for calling that's once really again, fun. my friends. Thanks, Miss Deborah. We appreciate that's it. Oh, yep. thank you. Me too. We have yeah, but... about 45 minutes left. Yep. So I'd like to suggest we move to another topic if we can. Let's do it. And um, I think that the issue here is, ought we to, I hear all those hands being lowered and I feel bad, yep. um, but hang in there with us. Cool people. One of the too. things that, oh yeah, one of the things that I'm really <laughs> interested in 
in working out is when you're holding a hybrid convention, is should one of your priorities be trying to encourage people to come to the convention as opposed to attend virtually? Um, I know there was concern by some of our special interest affiliates that there was so few people in their sessions um, that it made for very awkward makes made it very awkward to have any live at the convention speakers. They'd be there and there'd be two people in the audience physically. There might be 25 online, but these people came to the convention. This was one of the issues with some of our diamond sponsors, I would imagine. You know, they put in what for us pretty significant bucks to cover things. They get that first slot uh, but the vast majority of the people that they're speaking to aren't physically present. So should ACB emphasize and give in some fashion um, higher shrift to come on, come to the convention? We have issues dealing with contractual requirements, a certain number of rooms during the course of the convention, uh, certain minimums for meals, and these kinds of things that have to be met, as well as that issue of the physical presence of enough members for the special interest affiliates to actually have a program uh, that is not exclusively virtual. So speaking as a former president of a special interest affiliate, I, and I ceased to be president on Saturday, and I, and, and I noticed that um, the new president, my special affiliate, Denise Colley, is with us. So congratulations on being president of BRL, Denise. But um, I think, and there are others who agree with me, that we did everything this year to discourage people from coming. Um, and, and I think we have to move in, in the other direction. We encouraged our special interest affiliates to hold their business meetings before the convention and to hold them virtually. I, I think I sort of get that. Um, we, we encouraged um, a, a lot of <clears throat> content Actually, ADP and some other groups actually were handling um, were handling a lot of content even before the convention started. Families did their campfire stories. It it, it was intended at one point to show the movie we were going to show prior to the convention, and all of these things discouraged people from coming. and 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 I and I think we need to seriously look at some of the things that we do what what would make a person come aside from getting hugs and covid and going on tours exactly my question what could we do in the future to encourage that can there be and is it is it fair <laughs> again i'm i'm not a big fan of the word fair uh, life is simply not fair. But to some degree, you have to make sure that um, 
people have equal access to whatever. So should there be, for example, door prizes that only those present can receive? Um, should there be <laughs> social opportunities there that you cannot attend virtually? <clears throat> Uh, let's let, let's take another example. One of the things that people come to the ACB convention for um, is the showcase of the performing arts. It was done virtually this year. Yes, absolutely. And for that matter, you could attend a lot of tours virtually. Yes. So, so uh, it's it's for me. It's a huge question, um, and 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 it's one that I think we have to grapple with. Um, you know, and and clearly, once once you open the Pandora's box of of hybrid conventions, we're not closing that box. So, hybrid conventions are gonna are are gonna happen. And Denise, you you will be the first hand we recognize. So, thank you very much for being here. Um, I I think that I think that um, hybrid conventions are 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 a difficulty, but. But I think we have to figure out more ways of making it worthwhile for people to come, or, or I think it's going to be very difficult for us to have in-person conventions down the road. Um, and, and so I think it's a balance that we really need to, to look at and, and recognize. So let's, let's listen to others more than one another here, Paul. Yeah. Um, so we, we clearly have opinions on this. We don't yeah. really have any really good solutions. So I hope I'm, that some of our colleagues might give us yeah, some. I'm not I'm not sure that I do have, have some, but I think I think we were very quick this year to to make decisions that lessened the likelihood that people would attend. But Rick, if you would, can can we invite Miss Denise Colley, one of the heroines of our convention, to speak. Yeah, we sure can, and I'll just say one thing: don't discount location. Okay. No, I think you're right. Location had a big part of that this year. Yep. Denise, please. Hi, Paul. Hi, Brian. Hey, hey there. I apologize, by the way, when Massachusetts was called, I had a new soundboard, and so you got to hear not only me but my computer throughout my. Oh. Room. <laughs> well, first of all. I just want to take this opportunity to say thank you to all the affiliates, um, especially that last roll call, because everybody was there. We didn't have people going, am I, can you hear me? Am I unmuted? No, we didn't have any of that. And it, that really helped it go so much smoother. So I just want to say thank you to all the affiliates. You know, I agree with you guys totally that we didn't give people much incentive to want to come this year. And there were a lot of reasons why people didn't come. But what I found really frustrating all week long was what could we have, I mean, what could we have eliminated then that would have allowed us to lessen the amount of time that we gave to convention before, during the, you know, in person and after um, I know that, you know, similarly, people have said, well, why couldn't we have done resolutions earlier in the week? Well, the reality was, I suppose we could have. But the thing was, when we weren't voting, when we didn't have to vote, we did move other things into those slots that would have had to have been dealt with on that last day if we hadn't. Yep. So, you know, that was done. 
And we still, you know, had real difficulty doing everything. And we never could have fit everything that was done over the course of the two weeks into, or two and a half weeks into eight days. So, you know, where do you, how do you draw the line in terms of what you do and what you don't do and what you eliminate? And while it wasn't anybody's fault at all, if you added up all the amounts of time that we had to wait to fix sound issues, that would have added up to quite a bit of time if we'd all been in person. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I, I don't disagree with anything that you said. I, I think my, my, my concern is that uh, unless you create more incentives for people to be there and maybe there are enough i mean maybe people just want to be there because they want the opportunity to to spend time with friends they want the opportunity to go on tours they they want the opportunity to do things in person and and you know that's certainly i would put myself in that category and i suspect most of the time brian would and you would denise in 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 terms of that stuff but 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 there right now there there were real disadvantages in terms of coming because of the amount of covid that was out there because of the um because of the uh high price of airfares because of other things and i think rick is right yeah. i think location is an issue um we'll we'll see what happens in chicago whether it's whether it's significantly different I also think, generally speaking, that um, I w I've always been astounded, quite honestly. I've, I'm one of those lucky people who've always been successfully employed. And therefore, going to the convention was never really a question of, can I afford to do it? I was going to do it, and it was my working vacation. Right. I always had a role at the convention. Right. And as a result of that, um, I, you know, I was going to be there. I took take my responsibilities seriously. So right. I was going to be there. I always I thought this year there were really three groups of people who physically attended. Those who had a role to play. Whether or not they felt comfortable with COVID situation or whatever, they now, you know, not to a person, but a significant number of people were there who've expressed to me their concerns, but they were going to be there because they said they would be there to conduct whatever they had to do. Right. Um, the other group are those who are just plain stir crazy because of the COVID isolation. Mm -hmm. So it's more than just going on vacation. It's breaking loose of uh this horrible social situation we've been in. And I guess the last group of people, I think, are people in denial. Um, uh, and I, there's a significant part of every national organization that will be made up of, of that group of people. I do think one of the things that has always astonished me is how many people on low or moderate income look forward to going to this event it is their vacation each Thank year you. and i think that group will continue to come um 
It may be a little sparse as things are more expensive than they've ever been in terms of percentage of your income and the like. But uh, I also note that Social Security is going to go up by 9% this year. 9%. Wow. Um, Because it's based on the cost of living. Mm -hmm. Uh, During, the I think, the month of April, it was based on. So we're talking like 9, 9 9.1%. So I'm not sure that finance is going to be a big indicator. But you have to put together a convention that is mixed of business and entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, would I would guess half of people wouldn't go to the convention if it didn't predominantly represent entertainment to them. Yeah, one of the, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, just to say one of the, I, I totally agree again. And, you know, when we first started talking about um, allowing, you know, setting it up so people could attend virtually and they could, everybody could vote and everything, you know, one of my key concerns was, okay, that that's great. And doing that's great. And we should accept every year that's going to mean less and less people are going to show up at convention. And I think right. that we tried so, you know, we went so far one way to, to let people know, yes, you can attend virtually and you can have all of these experiences. And these are events that can happen virtually. And we really needed to lean more the other way and focus more on here's what you're going to get if you come in person. And yep. here's why coming in person is so valuable. Yep. I agree with that. Agreed. Agreed. We have 10 participants with hands raised. So thank you, Denise. And Thanks, guys. Yeah. All right. I think, I think Denise threw me under the bus. Um, <laughs> 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 no, she didn't do it on purpose. Oh, I'm just teasing. Charlene, please. Charlene in San Diego. Yes. I was going to address about the having the um, in-person and the remote. This is the first, well, second time in many, many years that I've been able to attend a convention. And that's because maybe I'm on a, on a fixed income, but my expenses, even though it's a fixed income, may be higher, higher than that. I'm not in subsidized housing. I'm not in some of the uh, different things to, you know, help out financially that other people may have to help them have the money. And it is expensive to go. The oh, other thing is. is there are some people who, due to their either their health con- um, issues or somebody in the families or somebody who they're taking care of or in- responsible for, their health conditions um, prohibit somebody from coming. This has right. allowed us to have a voice in the a- in the um, ACB. It's allowed us to attend. And when you do it through the radio, yeah, you're listening to it. But if you have any questions or anything you want to ask or any comments you want to make, you don't even have the beginning of a chance to do it. You're only a sideshow. You're you're listening to it. And you're on the outside listening in. And it's not the same as being able to feel like you're a part of it, which having it uh, virtual and having the both platforms with a hybrid allows. So, and as far as the voting, I mean, asking questions, if the people um, who are looking at the computers, um, who are moderators and stuff, can figure out which group, um, virtual or um, on site, 
has a larger number, then that group gets two questions, the other group gets one. That way it's kind of a fair way to ask questions. I, I, I think I, I think we would probably agree with most of what you said, Ms. Charlene, and, and we're glad you were able to attend virtually. Mr. Rick? Uh, traveling Terry in, from Florida. <laughs> Terry Suarez, please. She was unmuted a minute ago. How about <clears throat> there she is? Hello, everyone. This is such a great conversation, but I would like to give a perspective of someone that this convention was her first time ever at an ACB national convention. And most of you guys know I'm new to the family. Um, I only joined in August of 2020. So my past experience were all virtual. And I think it's fantastic that we've embraced the technology we have. So I have a few opportunities of improvement that I'd like to share. We did have events that were not on Zoom that were fantastic. One of them was the tailgate party. ACB invested in the members that were there and we had a big tailgate party, getting everyone excited and doing the Brenda Dillon walk. And I just feel if we work together and get the teams all excited and really make it a big tailgate party every year that it's unfortunately for live events. And then the other big live event was the get up and get moving walk across the bridge. Now, unfortunately, um, I did not get to participate in those events. I was early getting positive and I was sequestered in my room for five days. I got the antiviral and the hardest thing was i didn't have a fever i just had a cough but i was sequestered in my room and i could hear people going up and down the hallways laughing and giggling and you know having fun meanwhile i'm in my room and i did not once ever heard from any of our membership committee or membership engagement team no one ever called me and my traveling partner to see how we were doing, except for Leslie Spoon. And I missed you, Paul Edwards. We were going to do stuff together. So we'll have to make it up somehow. <clears throat> somehow. And we the other will. thing I want to say is, is if you get people involved in the convention, the only reason why I got to go was, thank goodness, Diabetics in Action selected me, one of their brand new members, to be a delegate. And I was so thrilled. So Monday's event of roll call, I was tickled pink because I got to actually do a delegate role because I had my voice back. <laughs> but the other thing I want to recommend for ACB to um, look into is a, let's do a Brenda Dillon um, walk, but have the ability to make it where you walk and raise money not only for ACB, not only for your affiliate. But what about going to the convention? If we had some kind of tool where someone who is on a fixed income can work on raising money to go to the state, to the national conventions, I believe that would encourage more community involvement and really get our members get out and get moving in our community. And it's a lot easier for people to say, 
you know, hey, let's do this. I mean, look at what we did in Sugar Warriors. Woohoo! We're right. number one. <laughs> and you know how we did it? Do you guys want to know the secret of how we did it? Mm. Tell us. We had it- incentive programs for our walkers. If you raised $100, you got a Sugar Warrior t-shirt. If you raised $200, you got a t-shirt and a gift card. If you raise $300, you got a shirt and a $40 gift card. So that's what our secret was. And it would be fantastic if there is a fundraiser where we're raising money for our members, have it a tool where our members can raise money to get to convention. Because in reality, when you get someone to convention, it energizes them for the year. And also what it does is it allows them to be a part of it and they're going to go and they're going to want to go because we're giving them a tool to be able cool. to raise the money they need but thanks miss terry we're gonna we're gonna cut you off because we've got a bunch of people waiting we only have 20 minutes left wonderful ideas though wonderful ideas i want to make sure that we keep the last 10 minutes today paul to hear from about the survey so yeah. Who do we have next, Rick? Uh, we've got Penny Moss, please. Hello. How are y'all doing this evening? Hey, Penny. Well, um, I disagree with some of what y'all have said, and I want you to know why. Um, I'm a lifelong. I've been in ACB a long time, but I've only been to about three conventions in person. And part of that has been financial. Part of it's been work. And part of it's been family obligations, and part of it has been uh, the distance and the location of the convention. And I guess I'm, I'll be 69 my next birthday, and I've kind of gotten to the place where going to conferences, long for conferences is really hard. I mean, you know, and, and having to, um, to walk a lot of distances. I've had both knee replacements and... You know, so going to a convention is physically, financially challenging for me. But I have really enjoyed the virtual conventions. um, And I've actually become more involved in ACB because of that. And I got involved in BITS. And in our um, presentation, all of our um, presenters were virtual. So we didn't have the problem of people not wanting to be there because they couldn't be. We didn't have a lot of people in person. Just about every friend I have that's involved, has been involved in ACB, is not able to attend the convention in person due to either health reasons or financial reasons or difficulty with the conference. I think it's very unfair to plant incentives to get people to come when a a large portion of ACB are older individuals who, for one reason or another, can't really attend a convention. None of the incentives that you mentioned tonight would make me want to come to a convention. I mean, it, it honestly, it, it's it's more to me of a turnoff when it, it feels like to me an incentive. Um, I think the location has a lot to do with it. Maybe when it's in Jacksonville, I can maybe come for a few days. But 
you know, it's hard for a lot of people to stay for a whole convention also. I mean, some people can, but I've known of people that went for parts of it and they didn't stay for the whole thing. Whereas when it's virtual, it's a lot easier to go to the whole thing, it's a lot easier to vote, and it's a lot easier to be a part of it. Um, the only other thing I wanted to I wanted to mention, uh, and I had I had earlier was I, and I know that some people will disagree with this, but I think there should be a limit on the number of resolutions that are brought to the floor. Now, I've heard it said that that's the way that people have a voice to vote. But personally, I feel like my voice is heard through voting for the board members that I think will do a good job, voting for officers, and indicating what issues I think are important through my local chapter, which I'm president of, and the state affiliate. I think that 28, to me, 28 resolutions is excessive. And... I also think there was a tendency when we had the resolutions that on the from the Zoom from the virtual side of things it seems Hello? That was me guys. I'm sorry. Charlene, let me see if I can get you back. Hold on here. Charlene, if you can unmute yourself again, please. I'm, I, I apologize. Penny. Just to be Penny Moss. Penny Moss. Oh, Penny Moss. It was Penny Moss. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's where I got confused. Penny, if you unmute yourself, I, I, I am so sorry. <sighs> okay. Okay. I think I've unmuted myself. Can you hear me now? You, yes, you we have. can. And where you got cut off is when you were talking about limiting the number of resolutions. Mm, yes. Uh, I just feel and that... And then I you had one last thing you wanted to say, so go ahead and say it. Um, okay, and I think... Um, all right. I think there was a tendency that people would ask the same questions for each resolution and i think right. if we could not have debate when everybody when there's no negatives about the resolution then i don't think we need to debate it and i'll i'm now finished <laughs> uh, thank, you Kenny, so thank you very much mr rick yes mary heroyan please okay thank you um so i I would have to say that I, I think that there is already incentive for coming to convention, being in person, and that is just being there and being with people and the camaraderie and the events that you can attend that yep. aren't available over Zoom. And if that's not enough of an incentive, I'm not sure what else ACB could do or should do um, to enhance participation other than having some financial aid for people who truly do want to come and, and wouldn't be able to because of, of financial reasons and to have some financial assistance for people, you know, to have a fund available. And I, and I think that's something ACB should look into because that would really show a real commitment to membership. But otherwise, you know, those of us who attended virtually, yeah, it was wonderful. We could, 
participate in the business of the organization and a number of events, but we don't get the in-person interaction. You can't attend, you didn't attend the socials. Um, you're not there sitting beside people during the banquet or the lunches. Right. And so you do miss out on that. And that's fine because that's our choice. That's, that's an opportunity cost of being there virtually. And that, that's something that shouldn't try to be workaround or anything like that. So I think that's, and certainly now in the time of COVID, you really don't know what kind of incentive people are going to need to come back to convention. You know, might just be feeling safer. You know? I, think, I, I think, think you make to that. The safer yep. part, I think, mm-hmm. would have made a significant difference this year. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, first time out of the, out of the shoot, you know, it's not easy to figure out ways to do that in the scheme of things. No, because I I don't think it was possible. I don't think any event of this size you can come back from without having COVID, without there being cases, no matter what kind of event. And I think it's unrealistic to think that and naive. Agreed. I I, I I don't think there's a way that we couldn't, there's no way we could have totally avoided COVID. I agree. Uh, I don't think that anybody, uh, even those who uh, might have felt that we could have done more, would ever suggest that more would have been enough. Uh, yep. People were going to get sick on their way there, get sick on their way back, get sick because somebody was in the hotel before them, uh, whatever. There's going to be a lot of things that you know, just cannot get around. But feeling safe when going to a convention does matter to me. I want to make sure that the the hotel is properly marked in such a way that, you know, a low vision person isn't going to take a, a header down a flight of unexpected steps with no contrast. So, you know, the COVID thing is just part of that same same kind of desire to do what we can to have a friendly, welcoming and safe environment for people to gather and enjoy one another's company. Absolutely. Thank you, Mary, Absolutely. for calling. Thank you so Perfect. much. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Now I'd like to turn the microphone, if it's all right with you, Paul, over to uh, Mr. Rick Morin, because he's got an interesting task ahead of him that I think all of us would benefit from learning a little bit more about. Yeah, thanks. The survey. The survey, yeah, the survey. Um, the uh, Here, let me just make sure I've got everybody uh, switched off here. Uh, and I apologize to the folks that were having to, uh, to preempt with this. Um, the last, uh, I think it's been three years now, maybe four, um, ACB has conducted surveys, post-convention surveys, um, which um, ACB has taken uh, quite a, a lot of information from and been able to make some um some you know in advised decisions let's say um about certain things um this year's convention being the first um hybrid convention obviously had had some dimensions that uh were very unique and very um you know very new this year over previous conventions um, myself and Kelly Gask uh, have been asked uh, to spearhead an effort to uh, put the serve the post convention survey together for this year, 
and get it out. And we plan on getting it out within a couple of weeks. And we certainly want to capture um, elements in there about uh, specific dynamics of the of the hybrid convention that will help um, you know leadership make uh, decisions uh, as we go forward. I think everybody agrees that um, that this thing is going to get a going to get a relook. I mean, part of what um, we all knew going into this was that. Um, uh, we would learn a lot as a result, and, and we certainly did. And some of our assumptions going into it were were different than what the realities were, and so on. So, um, you know, it, we we've got decisions to make around you know the length of convention and the programming, and and um, you know, and I I just have a personal opinion and a personal bias about the virtual and the. Uh, in-person element, you really have to program those as two separate events. But that's a whole other issue. Um, the um, so we're putting that survey together. It, it's going to go out in the, in the next couple of weeks, and we would, uh, you know, there's been a lot of opportunities for people to provide feedback, uh, be it through uh, shows like this and shows like um, uh, Sunday edition last Sunday, and so on. Um, the survey, though, is going to give us some empirical data that we can make, you know, that we can do some decisioning against. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, part of what I'm doing is, is you know, I, I've been here raising hands for Paul, but I've, I'm also uh, making mental notes of, of the, the types of things that are coming up here today that I think the survey hopefully can help us dive a little bit deeper into. And the challenge for putting the survey together is how do we put a survey together that, that keeps it within some realm of reasonable length and touch on a lot of the, lot of the dynamics that we talked about tonight. Uh, if a survey is more than 20 questions, uh, we're going to be discouraging people from completing it more, more than encouraging that. And, uh, what's interesting when you do surveys is one of the things that you can monitor, and we've been monitoring this, is what our abandon rate is. And in years where we had a high number of questions, we had a higher abandon rate than years where we, we kept the number of questions down to a, to a certain level. So we've got this balancing act that we got to do in terms of uh, asking the right questions. But... Uh, to get some good, you know, some good, you know, empirical data, um, and, and a lot of this is how you ask the question, and how you set the scales uh, in terms of how people answer and that type of thing. But there will be an opportunity for uh, open-ended. Uh, there'll be at least one, probably two, open-ended questions, where you know we're going to ask people um, just to provide feedback. Um, on, on uh, you know, on things that perhaps they thought the survey didn't address or anything else they want to say. Now, when you do surveys, um, those open-ended questions often, often get made, you know, short shrift. Uh, you know, people uh, in the hurry sometimes of, of getting results out from a survey use concepts like word clouds to see what what most people are talking about and then draw conclusions from that. My, our approach to uh, analyzing that stuff is we literally will read every one of those open-ended questions and tag uh, various elements of what the person has 
as said into categories that we can then compile. And, um, you know, at a high level, we have categories that are provide, providing, uh, you know, negative feedback and categories that are providing positive feedback. And we spend most of our time looking at the, at the negative feedback. And also in the negative feedback is where we get a lot of our, uh, of the recommendations on what to do, um, you know, what to do better. So it, the point of all this is, and I don't know how we're doing on time here, but, but the point of all about this, five minutes, thank you. The point of all this is that it's very, very important for folks to participate in the survey. Um, you know, for all the, all of you here that have been here tonight, the feedback is terrific. Please provide that same type of feedback into the survey so that we can capture it. And then your peers will also be providing feedback and and we'll see you know you know as we talked about earlier you know that you know you have to make some tough decisions um and um uh, you know you can't you, we can't uh, accomplish everything that, we're, that we've ever tried to accomplish traditionally without without some trade-offs and um so, so the survey is going to be a key way for us to, to be able to do that. In terms of response rates in the past, we've had good luck with people responding in the past. The last few years, we've averaged about a 30% response rate. Um, I, I, I'm expecting we'll get the same type of response rate this year. Um, and when I say 30, 30%, that's 30% of all people that registered, not just the, well, in the past, last couple of years has been virtual, but, you know, we're hoping for a 30%, at least a 30% across the entire base of people who, um, who, who registered, that gives us a, a really good sample to then work from. Um, and, and part of what we look at too, is the demographics of the people who are responding, and we cross-reference some of the response, some of the responses to the demographics, which are important. To one of the major demographics that that tends to throw different results is is the difference between people who are sighted or have some usable vision and those who are totally blind. Um, you know, as you can well imagine, opinions about things like video vary widely between those two mm -hmm. groups of people. Um, so, so, so that's all important. It's not just a, a numbers game of just, you know, tabulating the, the, the bottom line and going from there. So th there's a lot of work and a lot of intelligence that goes into the analyzing of the results. So, uh, you know, it, 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 the, the cynical me in the past, you know, being the cynical person that I tend to be when I'm given surveys as, you know, from a, a, an event like this, I often just have this attitude of why answer um, because it's not going to make any difference anyways is kind of my cynical answer in, in, in many other things in my life that I do. But part of the messaging here is that we are taking this very, very seriously and it's going to, the survey is going to play major, major uh, role and have major, major impact in terms of some of the decisions about next year. So, you know, I, I want to personally thank everybody for all, all the feedback and thank everybody for all the feedback we got during the convention. Uh, for those of you that don't know, um, you know, I, I, you know, I had a big part of what I was doing was helping to make the AV part of this whole thing happen. And yes, there were AV problems. Um, the good news that I want to report to everybody is that uh, there's very little content that we actually lost uh, in the ether. So when we start publishing 
um, the archives, both video and, and podcasts of the convention, you will see things in its entirety. So for those of you who have missed things, especially in the first couple of days, you know, the audio issues we had the first couple of days were pretty serious on the virtual side. When you listen to the, uh, the uh, the content that goes out on on a on an archive and podcast basis you'll have it you'll have everything in its entirety so you can look forward to that so thank you so much Rick I appreciate you and all you've done for the convention and looking forward to seeing a report from the survey when that comes out for now I think it's time to say goodnight what do you think Paul I think it is thanks for everybody's opinion there there's lots more that could be said on the convention. But I think for now, we're probably going to run away from doing another program. Brian and I will talk tomorrow. And by tomorrow evening, all of you should have an indication of what we're going to do next on Tuesday Topics. In the meantime, keep your thinking caps on and your tempers off. Good night. <laughs>